Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, your source for helping you dominate and insulate your growing practice through two pillars of success, systems and marketing. And now here's your host, Dr. Peter Bolden. Today, I'm super excited for our next guest. He's been on the cover of Dentistry Today in 2013. He's got over 50 publications in various magazines. He's a frequent lecturer and a super captivating one at that. He's a boots on the ground, in the trenches, practicing dentist. One of his lectures 11 years ago actually inspired me to go out on my own. And if you don't know of Dr. Steve Rasner, I have to ask you what which rock you've been living under in dentistry, for sure. So, Steve, welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. I'm really excited to have you. Well, thanks a lot, Pete. And I'm just thrilled that you're into this kind of thing now and spreading the message of what it takes today to be successful in the, in the toxic environment that a lot of my colleagues face. So I'm a big advocate of people like you that are speak my language. Well, well, thank you. You know, and I, I always tell people the why I got started kind of in podcasting is because I was getting so much value in my personal and professional life that I was like, man, I need to contribute some of this. I have a few things that I want to talk about, maybe some value that I can bring to other people. And it was uh, kind of paying it forward a little bit. So it's cool. I don't know exactly where it's going, but I'm enjoying it. And it's keeping me super accountable in my own business. You know what I mean? Absolutely does. Uh, you know, I mean, I've never done podcasts, but you know, like I somehow I become old school real quick. You know, I'm in my early 60s now, and uh, you know, I like organized dentistry, and I like people that speak on behalf, and, and I of guys that want to remain independent. And I, you know, I think it's more important than ever that there's a voice to be heard by guys that do it. You know, I don't. I'm as you indicated in the intro. I'm full time guy. I mean, I, I work yesterday. I'm working on Monday. I'm. I know what my colleagues face each and every day because, you know, we're we're the soldiers out there. And, you know, it's one thing to retire fat and uh, look back and talk about what you might do now. But it's another thing to be facing crazy challenges that weren't there 25 years ago. So your audience doesn't want to hear about all this crap. They want to hear about what, what we tell them to do. So. Right. Well, I mean, you know, it is good to kind of you know, the evolution or the genesis of where we are today, which is a different, you know, which is a different environment. Even in my career of, you know, 16 years of being a dentist, I've seen obviously big changes, which is one thing I do want to talk about. Really with you, I know that you, you are a thriving fee-for-service practice in an area that you have contended to be, you know, not so conducive to that kind of environment. And you've thrived year over year. So what I think is interesting Steve, is I, I have a fee-for-service practice as well, and I think it's interesting when I talk to other dentists and they kind of look at me and they say, oh, well, you're a unicorn and it, you're a dying breed, and I don't know where this mentality started coming from, if it was like feeling hopelessness in insurance game of being squeezed out or feeling that they need to sell out to corporate or burnout or what. But like, I know you've kind of bucked this current day philosophy in a small town and, you know, pretty blue collar from what you said in past lecturing or in past talks that I've heard. You know, so what are your, what are your systems that kind of ensure that your fee for service practice thrives through a bad economy, varying demographics, et cetera? Well, let me first say that I know the people listening right now, just like they do when I speak and lecture, that have given in and were on are on the car your back's against the wall, man. You don't know what else to do. And I and I want you to know that I so get you. I so understand exactly where you're at. 
And I want you to know this isn't a, a BS session that you're listening to now. This is real stuff that I've been doing. And, you know, I'm not the only one in the country, but I'm one of the guys. And a lot of reasons it's attractive to my colleagues is because, you know, I'm not in Manhattan. I don't know. Maybe that would be harder for me. I'm not in Beverly Hills or Chicago or even Atlanta. I'm, I'm in a southwest part of New Jersey, about 40 miles to the west of Atlantic City. I just say that because I figure most people know where Atlantic City is. And if you drove to that, that's actually where I'm from. That's where I'm originally. And listen, I'm there because I didn't have any choices. You know, I wish I was a better student in dental school, but I wasn't. So I didn't get Harvard or anybody else knocking on my door to go do a post-grad program. I had nothing. And, you know, it wasn't because I fooled around. I, I tried the best I could. And lo and behold, I, I didn't get into anything. I ended up having to go back to my town. And my dad was a mom and pop dentist. You know, I'm talking about 1980, $100,000 practice, which, you know, wasn't bad back then, I guess. But clearly mom and pop. I mean, I'm talking rope drills. I mean, literally the rope drill. The, the slow speed was a rope. I'm only giving you that because I want you to know how low I was at one point. Yeah, I was working with my dad and... You know, that was exciting for me, you know, to do something with my father on a high level. But, you know, other than that, I was back in a town that had really not done well in the eight years I had been gone. And and so the first thing, and I'm going to cover a lot of ground here, Pete, today and, and may go on a tangent, so don't hesitate to bring me back in. But one of the first things that resonates to me, to any dentist listening, is that if you're young and you just got out and you, you know, you're working for some corporate dentistry because you don't really, you got to make some money. The number one thing to do is invest in yourself. And I mean it, man. Don't go out and buy the BMW or the, any car that you can get now because you can get any car you want for the first time in your life because banks like you. And that's not what you should do. I'm not kidding. You will so thank me if you can just keep that part of your life under control. You know, you, I, I assume a lot of you listening are in your mid-20s or early 30s. I mean, you're going to get paid, man. You, you're going to have that chance to live big and do those things, but you'll have the chance to do it at such a higher and easy level if you watch what you do in these early years. I mean, let me give you one example. So one of the reasons I trained so heavily is just because I had such bad dental self-esteem. I mean, I was in the bottom fifth of my class at the University of Pennsylvania, and I just didn't think I was that good, and that there were reasons why I thought that. I you know, didn't get in any programs, as I just alluded to. And, and the cool thing about being in dentistry, which none of us really ever stop and, and appreciate, is that unlike being a physician, we can become incredibly proficient at any one of three or four specialties that are in our profession. You know, you can be a general dentist and become an amazing orthodontist, amazing endodontist. No, you're not literally an endodontist or orthodontist, but the course curriculums are there today to become just incredible. And that's what I mean by investing in yourself, or even if it's in your basic aesthetics and crown and bridge with the Spear Institute out in uh, Arizona. And I have to make that point to you because even Pete, who graduated, I guess, 18 years after I did, when I started in 80, you didn't have these kind of programs. There was no uh, Spear Institute. There was no continuums at the New York University to become proficient in implants. They didn't exist. So you were kind of stuck. They didn't really become popular or start evolving, I would say, till the 90s. But today, right out of school, you can do that. I would friggin' even borrow money 
And I would, and by the way, I'll tell you right now, you can reach me at um, Dr. Rasner. I would be Dr. R-A-S-N-E-R at AOL.com. Pete will repeat that. I'll have that information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes, yeah. But the reason I'm saying that to you is because I made up, you know, I've been speaking for 21 years, and, you know, as a speaker, we're all have different personalities, and, you know, it's not how I make my living. I make my living like you guys do as a full-time clinician, and I fortunately have done a lot of things that have allowed me to stand out as a model to follow for some people. And, you know, you don't know what to take out there. So I made up a curriculum. I call it my two to four year curriculum. So it'd be like another semester for a year to four years in dentistry. And I mapped out exactly the courses I would take. I have no agenda. I could care less if you take it from this guy or that guy. I'm only recommending people because you can't take everybody. And I am 100% sure the courses you would take under my recommendations would be ones that would propel you so far ahead. So back to some of the, so the first thing you can do as a young dentist is invest in yourself and resist the temptation because it's going to be that my daughter just became a hygienist a year ago, not a, not a dentist, a hygienist. And she's already getting offers for, you know, a $300,000 home. You know, I say resist it if you can resist it. Don't get yourself in debt where then you're going to be working simply to pay those kind of bills. But let's go back to the original question Pete asked me. He says, how have I been able to stay independent? And I want you to know something that when I started, am I going no, to pass me? because I love it. Roll on. Like yeah, that's awesome. No, you're great. I love it. Fast action. We, we're we used to it. We like it. Go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, you know, back in 1980, you know, there was, let's say, Cumberland County, New Jersey, which is where I practice, is, is comprised of three towns, probably makes up about 75,000 people, about 25,000 in each town. All of them suck. I mean, they're not great towns. I mean, I wish they were, and I, I feel kind of guilty disparaging them, but I mean, they're just not great places where people flock to. High unemployment, a lot of poverty. It's just the way it is. And when I started, there was 25 other dentists who were private, fee-for-service, and we all had different skill levels, but patients had an amazing choice back then. Well, guess what? Flash forward today, 36 years later, almost none of those guys exist. So what I'm up against today versus 1980 is corporate chains all around me, like a lot of the people listening. And you know the corporate chains can afford to, to market themselves 10 times better than you. I mean, every day, can you guys relate to this? I'm practicing on somebody at 12 o'clock noon. I got the TVs in front of them in each operatory. And some guy comes on from Blah Blah Dental advertising crowns for $400 and, you know, my crowns are 1600 plus or a denture for, you know, $350 or an implant for whatever. And I mean, that's right in front of me on TV and the dental chain, you know, I, I'm not kidding. I lean over and I turn the TV down or I change the channel sometimes, you know, look, I know what I'm worth and I'm pretty sure my patients know but still, that is not a good atmosphere. It makes it harder for us because some people are simply motivated by fee. So I'm up against that. I'm up against an even bigger obstacle, which every one of you are too, 
And that obstacle would be the insurance uh, uh, change that's happened for the last 10, 12 years where, that you alluded to earlier. I mean, I don't believe, I just can't understand why there's not more guys prancing around the country. Maybe there is, and I don't know who they are, screaming at the fact that insurance companies came to our industry 10 years ago and said, hey, you know what, we're just not going to pay you the same anymore. And it's not that they lowered the premiums of our patients, right? It's not like they did that. They just lowered what they're paying us. So the insurance companies are doing as good or better than they ever did. And all you got to do is Google the salaries of the top CEOs of Blue Cross Blue Shield or Delta, and it's staggering. I mean, they're rolling in the dollars at my myself and my colleagues' expense. And I'm going to give you an inside secret. I was lecturing about five years ago in the Midwest, Kansas City, and some dude comes up to me at the break, and he, it's funny you used the word unicorn, because he was very polite, but he basically told me that I need to change my presentation because it's obsolete, that you can't be a fee-for-service guy anymore, what you need to do, Steve. And he was, I'm not kidding, the guy was straight up, he, he was really giving me advice. He wasn't trying to be a smart. And, you know, he went on to explain how you beat insurance at their game. And one way, for example, he said is, that, well, you know, like you give hygiene 30 minutes instead of whatever you're giving them, 45 or an hour, and you get them a hygiene helper and you use this lab or that lab and blah, blah, blah. And so he was so convincing. And on top of that, since I had never really done it, and maybe I didn't have the right to speak against it, I tried it. I literally went back to my team and told him what I just told you and said, you know what? Maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Maybe there's a way to do it. And I signed up for it. And as those of you who are involved in it, it takes six weeks or 12 weeks. I got approved. And my first patient was a crown, my first actual besides exams and stuff. And then, you know, you know, Pete, it didn't take me an hour to figure it out. It took me about one minute to realize that I can't prep any faster. I can't make the temp any faster. I really can't even take the impression faster. I'm not going to send the crown to an offshore lab or something as uh, they do in my town for $39 to have it made, as some of my colleagues comically call uh, PFS, porcelain fused to rhymes with wit. So here I am, for real. This is no BS. I'm in a 2016. We were having a killer year. Now, last year, 2015, I was up 17%, like $700,000. And this year, at one point, I was up 14% over that. And I never lie, so I'm going to be honest with you. October and November, we hit a wall. I don't know where it came from, but I react quickly when I hit walls. And I believe I fixed it already, which means either I order my marketing or I do something to change. And I'll be try to be a little more specific in a minute about that, but I was roaring through September. I mean, we were up $500,000 over last year's up 700000 and that's in a practice in Cumberland County, New Jersey. I want some of you guys listening to Google that, Cumberland County, New Jersey, and you look up the demographics and the economics of that area, and you will see that it was ranked as the second most dangerous corridor in the Northeast United States. And it's just not an area that's just thriving with young couples moving in. I'll put it that way. So how the hell do I do it? I'm going to tell you how you do it. You, so this is what you do. The first thing you got to do is you have to start putting, this is going to be hard for you, but you have to meet with your top people of your top departments. If you have a team of four or five, you're going to meet with everybody. I say this to you because if you have a team of 20, 
You don't need to meet with a team of 20 and pay them, which you have to pay them to meet with you. Because if you do that, you're going to waste money. Not everybody's equally invested or interested in your protocols and your paradigm shifts. And that's called the 80-20 rule, the 20 rule, the Pareto, P-A-R-E-T-O rule. It applies to everything in life and it applies to your practice. So don't do what I did because I did that. We met every two weeks for about two years. And I knew when I was meeting, not everybody's head was there, but I just thought that's the way I have to do it. And you don't. What you should do is elect the head of hygiene, whatever business people you need, the head of clinic. And I listen, if somebody gets offended that they're not included in that, then that's a good thing. You say, you tell them, oh, I didn't realize you really cared that much. Welcome aboard to be a part of it. You're not going to get that. I'm going to be honest with you because everybody has their own problems these days besides your office. And no matter what Obama wants to tell us or anybody else, the economy is a very challenge from what I'm seeing. And, you know, people are certainly watching their pennies. So you meet. And and the first thing you do is those of you that are taking a lot of plans and you're stuck in it, you don't know how to grow is what I'm trying to say. Whether you've been in this thing for 20 years or been in it for two. You meet and you say to yourself, like, where are we? Like, how many? A lot of you guys don't even know what you're getting paid per plan. And I say that to you with respect because I didn't know what I was getting paid. You know, so you you find out what you're getting paid on major services. So let me give you a quick example. Some guys out here on the East Coast in New Jersey, they might be getting 700 some dollars a crown, which isn't great. But compared to 410 from a certain other comp insurance company, and I'm not here to tell you to drop every plan. That would be stupid. If you're involved with your plans right now, you got to wean out of the worst ones first. But at the same time, and I haven't gotten to this yet, you have to create something that will inspire people to come to you. So let's talk about that for a minute. First thing I'm telling you to do is meet and establish what you need to establish in your office to make you guys, as I always describe in my lectures, as that place, that famous sitcom, Cheers, where everybody knows your name. And if you think that's a bunch of bullshit, then you don't know business and you don't know life. Because everybody that you do business with, you listening to me right now and Pete, you do business with them at some point because of two things. It's because there's a relationship. You feel a connection to that business. And then the second thing is they do a good job for you for what you do. So I'll give you a good example. I order my implants from BioHorizon. They're not the cheapest. They're not even close. But the guy, you know, maybe I'll sing a different tune. But, you know, the tune's been the same for the last 15 years. The guy has worked hard to establish a relationship with me. I'm sure he doesn't do for me what he does for everybody. Like, you know, I'm a speaker. So he's gotten me a couple gigs over the years and, you know, hooked me up with guys that wanted private training or things like this. And I really believe that it gives me, for BioHorizons anyway, the best possible fees and services that they can. You know, sometimes I need old parts for a system that's not even BioHorizons. It may be a, a system I never heard of. And I'll say, hey, Johnny, I can you do me a favor? Here's an x-ray of this. I don't even know what system this is. I need a cover screw or whatever, you know what I mean? And the guy's done and he brings us, I know it sounds silly for a second, but you know, he brings us bagels every two weeks on the clock, never misses. And he's worked hard to build a relationship. I'm here to tell you that one of the advantages you have with most corporate offices, I think corporate offices understand the importance of what I'm saying, but they just can't exercise it because number one, they don't have 
in general, the quality of people the private offices have, because they're not going to pay for that, because corporate offices are motivated and governed, as they should be probably, by dollars and strictly dollars. So I have a number of people at my front desk in my office in New Jersey that make, you know, $25 an hour. Well, that is not going to fly in most corporate offices in Cumberland County. And now those people generally are just not as talented, personable, vested in what you want. So, you know, when you come into my office, and again, it all begins with you, doctor. I mean, if your work sucks and you haven't invested in yourself and there's nothing to distinguish your clinical care from anybody else, and how do you know that? You know, I mean, you got to be honest. I mean, you're, you have a constant problem with your work, fillings falling out, crowns that were root canal that get extracted within a year or two, which generally means it probably wasn't a good choice by you to begin with. I've done it. I've done everything I'm telling you about. You know, a denture that got out the door somehow and, you know, that came in for many adjustments and you're looking at it and wondering how it got out the door. I'm saying, are you that guy or are you really, and I know most people that come to see me know that I advocate clinical excellence and I, I found that that's the high majority of you to begin with. But if you do have that leg up, it isn't enough. If you have that leg up and you're really good and you've invested in yourself, then it makes all the difference in the world. When they walk in that opera, I mean, excuse me, that front door, that you have a connected type of staff that makes them feel like they're at cheers. You know their names. You know about their family. You know about a recent vacation, promotion, hospital stay, anything that's, you know, I don't really know those things, Pete, but my team does. You know, and it carries right back to the back of the office. There is clearly personal connections going on with all areas of the office. You know, one way I keep that bond going is that somebody in my office every single day, Pete, which is four days a week, 16 days a month, 12 months a year, I am on a daily basis, I swear to God, sending a card, picking up a telephone, there's a number right in front of me, and being directed by somebody to say, call Mrs. Smith. Her husband just got out of the hospital. Yesterday, there was a, a sympathy card because somebody lost their spouse. It's pretty old to come to me. Every day, do one thing that has nothing to do with anything in your office except building relationships. And I'm talking about the doctor. Now, if everybody in the team did that, you got a really good thing going on. And it doesn't seem laborious or arduous for you to act that way once you start acting that way for a year, you know, a couple of years. It's just the way you live. And it's a cool thing because you got to give a reason for people to go out of network to come to you. Now, let's get to that for a minute. What could that be? What, you know, Charles Blair told me on the telephone about two or three years ago. Maybe he's changed it since then. But I called him up and said, hey, man, what are you telling my colleagues? Like, how are you telling these guys to deal with a 40% or 30% cut in fees by Delta Dental or whoever? And his answer was that they have to either increase their productivity, which sucks, because that's basically saying just work harder for the same dollar, you know, and everybody's familiar with the Kodak study, you know, the old company, the old phone company, Kodak. And if you're not, Google it. It tells you about when you have a decrease in fee, how much more productivity you have to have to make up for that decrease in fee. It's terrible. So I don't even know if that's really something I buy into. But he also said something interesting, which I know is true. And he said, we have a skill set that stimulates, motivates people 
to go out and network. So let's talk about what that skill set could be. Okay, should it be aesthetics? I'll tell you right now, if you go spend 20 grand at the Spear Institute in Phoenix, Arizona, you're, it's not going to change the way your phone rings. And I want you to do that because that's a basic fundamental of being great. And I don't know a better place for you to learn, but that's not going to change it. If you get amazing in six month ortho, I don't think that's going to change it. If you become the best endodontist outside the endodontist in your community, because you can't even advertise that. I mean, what are you going to do? I do great root canal. I mean, that's not sexy. You know, so I will tell you what it is. And, you know, one out of 100 people listen to me. And what it is, is getting your oral sedation certificate and in your particular state, because that resonates, I'm telling you, and it does quickly. You see, there's no skill set. There really is no skill set to learn to sedate patients. All you have to learn and follow is safety protocol. You know, the pills do the work to your patient. So there's nobody listening right now that I've done it for 21 years my particular regimen, which is not the DOCs, the docs. And I will tell you that the first time you use my regimen, you're as good as me. Now, there's nothing else I do that I can tell you that with. What does that mean? It means you give a very frightened patient, you put them in a snore zone, snoring, an hour and a half after they take the pills, 90% of the time. Now, here's the caveat. So here's what I'm telling you. I'm going to repeat. If I was going to learn a skill set, now, I just told you it's not hard to learn, but you got to be licensed or permitted in your state. So in some states, you got to take an IV sedation course, even though you're just giving pills. But I would tell you it's worth it because, number one, you can market the crap out of that. There's nothing else you can market, in my opinion, even close to that. Nothing. You can market sleep dentistry. You're not allowed to call it sleep dentistry in the state of New Jersey, but you can get close you can call it dream dentistry. That's what we call it. There's all kinds of things you can apply. It's obvious to the consumer why they're coming to you. So that is number one. Number two, you are going to get your best source of referrals from your success patients, which by the way, are going to be pretty close to 100%. You tell me listening right now, I gave you my contact. What else can you do? You think that if you do the most amazing root canal in the world, that's going to be as powerful as doing that same root canal, by the way, on a patient that you put to sleep and didn't really know anything that was going on. They're not going to rave about your root canal. They're going to rave that you didn't hurt them. So that's why, you have to, but here's the thing. The other thing is, is if you learn that, then you have to learn two other skills. And one of the skills is atraumatic extractions. And you know, that may turn off, you know, a percentage of my listeners right now, but it's just a fact because Lots of these people coming to see you need extractions. They're going to have hopeless teeth. And you know, I'll tell you something else that's cool. Of all the skills you can learn, learning to take teeth out atraumatically is something you can learn in an incredibly short time. But you have to do it with a hands-on live course, which I give, by the way, Pete. Uh, Pete didn't even know that, so this was not the reason for this interview. You have to look me up and ask me. I, I went to a lot of trouble to appear before the State Board of Dentistry in New Jersey, which had oral surgeons on the board, by the way. So it was not an easy task to convince them to allow me to bring other dentists to my office from any state in the country without a license. I mean, you have to have a license in your state and teach you on live patients because that's how you have to learn it. But if you learn it on live patients, you can learn it in two days. By the way, I'm not talking about wisdom teeth. I'm not an advocate of GPs doing wisdom teeth because I don't think it's profitable enough. And the cost... Risk to reward ratio? Yes, 
risk reward is, you know, there's just a tremendous difference between 31 and 32. And, you know, I just don't see why you'd want to do that and up your possibility of a hematosis and danger in that area or naturally paresthesias. And that just is, goes way, way down when you go one tooth to the mesial of that. So that's why I'm going to have to get that. But anyway, you have to learn that. And then here's my last thing. If you're going to learn that, then there's no reason for you not to train in implants. Because anybody that knows that they're good with taking teeth out, the next step to implants is not like a giant, giant leap. Certainly, some implant dentistry is a giant leap. And you cannot learn implants nearly as quickly as you can learn extractions. But I'm here to tell you, that is num numero uno, P why I have sustained myself because I have people coming in, not by the droves. That's the problem. I don't have people coming in anymore in masses. And I'll tell you about marketing in a second, by the way. But I have people coming in and I have such a leg up on the average guy because most, you know, you can create in your community that you're the guy or woman that cares for the phobic patient in about a year to a year and a half. And that's not a long time. I mean, you'll get results way before a year and a half. I'm just saying at that point, you'll be the man. And the reason is most people don't want to do it. I, I get it. Did you have to have a certain temperament? I will tell you this, in the 21 years of using, I'll tell you real quickly what I use. I use 25 milligrams of Benadryl, 50 milligrams of Atarax, and 0.25 of Halcyon, triazolam, together. 90 minutes before. Listen, I have a whole protocol. And you write to Pete, you write to me, I'm going to send you. You don't have to like write this down or memorize it. Trust me, in 21 years, I haven't had one time, not one, where I had to pick up the phone and call 911 or anything close to that because I couldn't, I was having trouble with the patient. Hell, I, Pete, I had to call 911 25 years ago because I packed too much Corvid epinephrine in it and the patient had a tachycardia. Okay, but I never did for the internal sedation cocktail that I use, not once. And I gotta tell you something else, man. It's a beautiful way to practice. Listen, even if you do everything right, or as close to right as I can describe for you, what you and I have chosen to do simply isn't easy. You gotta face that, you know? When you picked dentistry 20 years ago, I don't let anybody tell you it's easy, but I have created an atmosphere where it's easy as it possibly can be. Why? Why? Well, picture this. I'm going to go into work on Monday, and I'm going to guarantee you that I'm going to have one or two rooms dark when I get there, because I work in a dark room when they're sedated. And I'm going to work on either one of those patients somewhere between two and three hours, and you don't have to be in the room every second with them. I know that sounds like, what? Oh, this guy's crazy. What's he talking about? Well, the guy talking to you has done it for 21 years. And I can tell you that I have five operatories and the furthest away one is from the other is about five seconds of walk from me. And the only thing I've ever had to alter is a lower jaw thrust because of a laryngospasm, which is when they're coughing. And that's about all that's going to happen. You got to keep in mind, I've screened these patients. You know, I wouldn't recommend you work on ASA three and four patients that are dangerous patients. You know, I mean, I, I'm all about safe. Like, I don't recommend you ever sedate a kid. Kid to me is like under 16. I wouldn't even dream of doing that. You don't have to do that. There's plenty of work to do without doing that. You know, and I can tell by the, the length of this conversation, Pete, and I'll leave it up to you. 
I got so much more to say. Like, I want to talk about, you know, comprehensive exams. Like, what is a comprehensive exam to me? And if you do a comprehensive exam the way I do it, and I don't mean, by the way, getting all carried away with muscles and joints, and and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think it's a fine thing. I just find it very hard to treat, and I don't find it self satisfying to me and you're talking to a guy that went through Dawson and a lot of panky and you know believes in CR centrifugation dentistry and all that stuff I just don't find it very rewarding to go through uh, treating patients that have severe TM dis- uh, dysfunction you know you only get so many hours in a day you can treat people but you know if you do a comprehensive exam I don't even have time to think about Botox as an adjunct to my practice You know, sleep dentistry, yeah, I think that can be assimilated very nicely. But all these other things that guys are getting into, if you just commit to doing a five-point exam on patients and you're earnest and honest and you have a great chair-side rap and personality, which we would have to talk about more, you know, and that's really important because I've consulted many of my colleagues over the years who had everything going for them except the moment, and I know you have this, Pete, the moment of treatment planning. You know, that moment where you go into a room meeting this patient for the first time and going to give them a recommendation, I would say 90% of the time in my office in that very first visit as to what you're going to recommend they have treated and then have them accept that. And acceptance to me means you get paid. You know, telling me that, oh, the this is a great idea. I'm going to do this in February. Means I got turned down. Steve, I'm going to interject something because I know you're you're going to list the five. Yeah, I want to. No, it's great. Career, I love okay. it. I'm, I'm excited for you to to cover this point because I know the five things because I've heard you say it before and I actually had my associate go back in and I said, you need to go in and talk about these five things. Number one, it'll give you something to say as opposed to like, hey, how's your day been? It'll look, you will look very strategic with what you're doing. You'll have confidence and the patient will feel tremendous value by all the things that they felt they just got for the cost of their hygiene exam. Right. And I know you kind of almost have a script for it. Um, I mean, like you, like a protocol rather. So yes, jump into it now because I think it's, this is fantastic. I love the treatment plan. Here's what I do. I walk into the room. I want you guys to picture this and you know, I'm not here to sell you products, but I have tapes and books and stuff just telling you that because you know, I don't know how much you can get. Some of you will get it just from what I'm about to say. The first thing I want you to know is these patients that I'm talking about are screened. That means they've been talked to by somebody that knows what they're doing over the phone. So when a new patient calls my office, and we all know new patients don't call up and ask and request a comprehensive exam, okay? Nobody does that. They call up, either they heard you're good and they want to come to you, they don't have any problems, or they broke a tooth or or something along those lines. Well, you know, I have a person that's going to screen them a certain way, which we'll say for another day, to... Because you only have, you know, your eight hours a day or 10 to do what we all do, you know, and part of that's dentistry. Part of that is new patient examinations. And, you know, I don't want to be in that situation ever again, which I've been in, where my hygienist walks back to me and says, he won't let me take any x-rays. I mean, everybody can relate to that, right? So, you know, that's that's like, oh, my God. And it's always on a bad day, right? (laughs) That's always happening on a day when... You know, somebody else wanted their chart records back or the expensive piece of equipment's broken or something like that. So I don't want that to happen. 
So because I don't want to adapt, and I have a protocol, you know, I'm all about protocols, Pete. And, you know, Michelle, my new patient coordinator, is there saying, her number one thing she's going to say is, this is how the first visit is going to work. At some point in her conversation with that new patient, she's going to say, this is how the new patient, this is how the first appointment is going to work. She literally says those words. Dr. Rasner is going to take a look at all your teeth. Now, she wouldn't dare use the word comprehensive, but she's telling them we're going to look at all their teeth. Why? Because once in a while, you'll get some weirdos that'll say, well, I don't want all that. I just want this one tooth pulled. And we'll go on and we'll tell that patient the value of looking at all their teeth, which is absolutely the truth, that they'll save time and money if we look at all their teeth. And by the way, to my colleagues listening, that's how you avoid, you know, any of you examined somebody in the last couple of months and saw number 31 on a 45 degree angle, there was no 30 there, there was no 29 there, and I had a really nice root canal done and a really nice crown, and it didn't have an opposing tooth either, by the way, okay? And so what good did that tooth really do? <laughs> what was the purpose of that? And I see that, and that's, that comes, in my opinion, that often comes from a lack of a comprehensive exam, meaning somebody walked into that office with number 31 hurting and accepted a root canal and a crown. End of story. And that's not good dentistry. So she screams, and then she says, and he's also going to take whatever x-rays he feels he needs to take to give you an accurate diagnosis. So when you say that, some patients will tell you, a lot of patients will tell you they've just had a full set done. And we all know that means they had bite wings done about 14 years ago. So, you know, if there's one thing I will give away in my office, it's x-rays. And the way we give that away is we'll say, listen, if, if your x-rays aren't covered, you know, Dr. Rasner will gratis that to you. He's going to want his own rays. He trusts his own equipment, and he's going to want to be able to give you the most accurate examination he can. And, and you know, I don't need to make a federal production out of this to this audience. Be You don't get a lot of resistance on these things. You don't. You're simply stating what you're doing with the outside chance that somebody's going to object. Because I'm not going to waste my time walking in. I absolutely disagree with the philosophy. Do exactly what they want bond with them, make them like you, and they'll come back for care. I think that's a crock of crap. And um, you'll, you'll end up having a practice that's an emergency uh, treatment practice. You know, you got to give people the chance to see what it's like to have complete dentistry. Okay. So they get it. They come to my office. They are greeted. They do whatever they do. They're brought back timely, by the way. We've talked about in a morning meeting as much as I know about this new patient, they will often do a one-to-one interview where even though they've been interviewed on the phone, they'll go into a little private room for like three minutes, man. Now, I want to tell you something interesting that'll be worth the price of you listening today. One of the reasons I get high case acceptance is because I have protocols that set me up to get high case acceptance. And one of those is, is we request the significant other to be at the first visit. And I... Even I am astonished how much acceptance I get of this in this day and age where you think most people, both parties are working. And here's the bottom line. If you don't ask, you're never going to get that. If you ask, even if you're not skillful, you'll probably get 50% of them to come. So why is that important? It's important because most of your brothers and sisters don't do comprehensive exams. So most people don't have to think about 
reaching into their pocket for a significant contribution to fix up their mouth. You know, most of you know, let's just call it the way it is. I've had patients come to me, and I know you've had patients come to you, and they said, hey, what do you mean I would owe $4,000? My, my insurance covers 100%. It did at my last dentist. That's because a lot of dentists accept insurance as 100%, which, by the way, is insurance fraud. So don't do that. But a lot of people do. So I realized you got to remember something. The whole time I'm talking to you, every concept I'm telling you about comes from a, a patients in an area of the country that stink. It's not that I even, I rarely get the chance to work on a professor or a guy that owns a big business. I mean, I have some of them, but not a lot. So these are everyday man, blue collar, working in a factory, the wife's a teacher, one of them's handicapped. I mean, this is the audience I have. Okay, so I'm kind of going through this. They get their x-rays done. I'm telling you, 99% of the time, it's not an objection. And I said 99. I walk in like I have all the time in the world, which I do, because I'm a sedation practice, and I don't have to see a million patients a day because I'm so productive on the few that I have. So I walk in, and I'll say something like, so how did you guys – remember, I'm talking to two people, literally. The, with the spouse is in the assistant chair, patient's in the dental chair. I sit down, I just say, so, and the x-rays are done. And I'll say, so how'd you find me? Okay, and then I'll say, what brought you to the dentist today? Tell me. Like something made you pick up the phone. Okay, so once you get through that, it's a nice way to talk, by the way, because it stimulates other type of talk. Maybe they'll tell you that you worked on their brother and you didn't know that was their brother. And it's just a, anything you got helps in terms of approval that you're okay place to be. Because if everything else has been done the way I would want it to be done, I'm set up right now to get case acceptance, meaning they got good vibes when they came on that phone the first time. They got good vibes walking through that front door, going all the way back to have their x-rays taken. The place looks clean. It feels like they're in a good spot. I'm set up, man. Okay. And I don't have like marble, like one of my favorite mentors, Frank Spear did. I mean, do you ever make it out to Frank Spear's office, Pete? I've been a big proponent of the online. You know, he's got the big online component now, but I've never done that. I actually paid for it and wasn't able to do the the entire series. But man, he's he's the best. He's the, I mean, he's he's like it's hands down. I going back to what you said earlier in the investment aspect of of yourself. Like to me, that would be my first recommendation is to start there. Me personally, yeah. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. Tune in next week for the continuation of this awesome interview. And remember, if you're getting value from this podcast, please review it on iTunes or whatever format that you're listening to. It really helps spread the word. And lastly, if you feel like you're struggling in your practice, you feel like you've plateaued, you feel like you just want to accelerate some growth, reach out to me through the website, bulletproofdentalpractice.com and fill out the contact form so that we can connect and hopefully work through some solutions. Again, thanks so much for your time and I look forward to seeing you next time.